to gather together and to worship the triune God, to remember his goodness and his character and his love, and to consider how that calls us to live. Uh, This uh, three-week period that I'm going to be with you, I am looking at different fruits of the Spirit. And one of the things that I hope that you'll take away is that all of the fruit of the Spirit are ultimately reflections to us of what God is like. Now, all the fruit of the Spirit are aspects of God's character that He uses His Spirit to imprint onto us. And so today, we're going to be looking at one aspect of God's character that as we see, as we understand, can become our character too. We're going to be looking at faithfulness. I recently saw the Marvel movie Thor, the uh, Thor Love and Thunder. I don't know if you all have seen it. It just came out on Disney Plus, so we watched it as a family. And the movie, in some ways, is a reflection on how obedience to God's is reflected in your understanding of their character. The beginning of the movie sets this theme by showing a man who is lost in a desert and is dying, and then by some miracle he finds himself in an oasis where he meets the God that he has spent his life serving, sacrificing for, worshiping, delighting in. He meets this God at the moment of his demise, and he finds himself thankful because he's face to face with the God that he loves and adores. And so he asks the God to bless him, to bring him into his eternal reward for his faithfulness. And the God laughs. The God begins to mock him. And then the God says, no, I am not going to give you an eternal reward, but I am going to sacrifice you to myself. And he begins to kill this character. And at that moment, the character realizes the true nature of this God that he's been worshiping. And through some magic, he's able to, in that moment, to strike his God dead. And then the rest of the movie is him going about the process of trying to seek out other gods and kill them. And to me, that captures the essence of what sin is. To me, that captures the essence of what our life in response to God looks like. The way that we live shows what kind of God we think he is. The way that we live speaks about how we understand his character. And today we're going to be looking at a parable where Jesus wants us to see this played out. And and parables, as you may know, are stories that Jesus is using to invite us into the story. So that's why he so often doesn't use names in his parables, because he wants you to enter into the story so that you reflect upon your heart, reflect upon yourself. And Jesus tells the story, the parable, the talents, to help us to understand God's faithfulness so that we reflect on our faithfulness to Him. Because Jesus knows that the characteristics of the Christian reflect the Christian's understanding of the character of God. Which when we get that, it makes us understand what obedience really is about. And really, 
see it even as more compelling. So today, as we reflect on this parable, I hope that it'll help us to see that understanding God's faithfulness makes us to be faithful. Understanding God's faithfulness makes us to be faithful. But now let's turn and hear from God and his word. I'll be reading for us Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14 and going through verse 30. This is the word of the Lord. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and then settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant! You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed? Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but this, the word of our Lord, stands forever. I'm going to pause and pray that he would help us to understand it. I invite you to pray along with me in your hearts. Father, as we gather We pray that you would teach us, as a good father does to his children, of your character, of your ways, of your world, that we may live rightly in light of you and your goodness. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So this parable is a parable to teach people about the faithfulness of God. And so what Jesus does is he uses this story to help us to see God in a light that we might otherwise not see without the help of the story. And so in this story, the rich man represents God. So keep that in the back of your mind as you think about this story. The rich man represents God, and this rich man leaves on this long journey. 
And as he's about to go, he takes his riches and he gives some of them to three of his employees or servants in this parable. Now, this text wants us to remember that he is giving his own property to those who are already his servants. Think about that. Think about what he's doing. He is taking his assets that belong completely to him and he's giving them to the employees that are already duty bound to work for him. And so what he's doing here is not giving them a task. He's doing something more. He's promoting them. He's inviting them into a greater partnership with them. He could have told him to, them to do these things. They were his employees, and they would have had to comply. But instead, what he's doing by giving them this money is he's inviting them into a greater partnership because the understanding in this time would be that if they were given this money, these resources, then it was theirs to use as though it was their own, and that they could use that money and any money that it generated to provide for themselves and their family. And the expectation would be that any profits off of their works would come back to them as well as to the master. And so what Jesus is showing us is he's showing us right from the beginning a very generous man who instead of taking his servants and saying, this is what I want you to do, is giving the servants a promotion, saying, I don't want you to just work for me. I want you to work with me. I don't want to just benefit off of your labor. I want you to benefit off of your labor too. And so he entrusts to them this wealth, which is also entrusting to them his own wealth, his business, his riches, his kingdom, he leaves in their hands. And keep that in mind when you think about what God is doing when he calls you to obedience, when he calls you to do anything, that what he is doing is not controlling you, not exercising power over you, but partnering with you in what he is doing in this world. You see, all of us do owe our obedience to God. We are his creatures. This is his world. And he could rightly demand obedience just off of that basis alone. But what God does in the Bible is whenever he calls us to obedience, he's always calling us to obedience out of that sense of partnership. I want you to do this with me. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this in light of me. Jesus is showing us a man who is generous, who is inviting those people who rightly would be underneath him to be brought up to his level and work with him in his kingdom. And so Jesus says the rich man gives five talents to one of his servants, two talents to another, and one talent to the third. And talents in this time, in this parable, is a unit of weight to determine the large amount of precious metals. Now, because of this parable, the word talent has gotten into our language to, to mean some sort of ability that one may have, a capability that you have to do something. But at this time, all it really meant was a heavy weight. And a talent was a big thing. A talent was a lot of money. One talent was roughly 20 years wages for a day laborer. So you can kind of roughly estimate one talent as being $1 million. 
And so here he's giving a huge sum of wealth to these people, five million to one, two million to another, and one million, which makes that idea that the one talent person hasn't have much seem crazy. He's giving them one million dollars, a huge amount of sum. And he's giving it to them so that they can use that money to go out and invest it and turn a profit that they can be a part of enjoying. But who holds all the risk? This rich man does. He's giving them his wealth that they might benefit from it. But if they lose it, they don't lose. He loses. It's important to see this because from the beginning, Jesus is showing us the nature of the character of this man. That he's generous and free with his wealth. That he's willing to have it be lost with the hope that they might benefit. Jesus shows us this man's character of generosity and grace that he's entrusting to his employees his own wealth, his own riches, that they might enjoy it and be blessed and benefit from it. Instead of them bearing the cost of failure, he gives to them the opportunity to be blessed with his wealth. And again, he's wanting us to see that this is the nature and character of God, that God is one who is generous and kind with his people, that he uses his resources not to benefit himself, but to invite his people into his blessing, to share his wealth with him. And that's why throughout the scriptures, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. The scriptures tell us the Lord, the Lord is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The rock, his work is perfect. All his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity is he. For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. Or your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Or again, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is your shield and buckler. Or the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. God is faithful. And the scriptures remind us again and again and again about his generosity and his faithfulness to give to his people, to bless his people, so that in all the areas of our life, we can know that he is with us. So that in all the areas of our life, we know that he bears the risk, but we get the blessing because his faithfulness is greater than our finances. His faithfulness is greater than our failures. His faithfulness is greater than our family problems. His faithfulness is greater than our fears about the future. Do you see his faithfulness and his generosity and his kindness to his people? Do you see his character more than you see his circumstances? Jesus wants us to see the character of this man so that we can see the responses of the servants in light of that character. And so then he describes the way that that they respond to this act of generosity from this rich man. And so Jesus tells us that the first one went at once and began to trade. This immediacy in his action shows an excitement, a zeal, a joy for the task that reveals a confidence in the character of the master. 
He is not afraid of the master, but he sees the master's grace and generosity, so he's bold in what he does. And the second does the same. They go out and they work with joy. They work with joy because they see that it was a joyful thing for the master to entrust them with those riches. They don't see anxiety in the master. They see generosity. And so instead of responding with an anxious service, they respond with a joyful service. They worked with joy because of his delight to give them his wealth. And what do they get back? More joy. Jesus helps us to understand the way that that God responds to delightful obedience and the way that the master responds. When the rich man comes back and he asks what they did, the first two tell them that they doubled the money that was entrusted to them. One made another five million, the other two million. But notice how the rich man responds to both of them. His response is the same. He responds the same way to both of them, regardless of one doing more than the other. He responds the same. And his response is a response of joy. He praises them. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. He responds with more generosity. Notice he says, you are faithful with a little. I don't know about you, but five million seems like a lot to me. (laughs) He sees it as a little. And he says, I will give you much more. Showing even more generosity as a response to their faithfulness. But then beyond that, He says, enter into the joy of your master. What a powerful thing. And in this time, what would be assumed with that statement is, is I am inviting you to dine with me. I am inviting you to come into the feast that we will have tonight. And I want you to not sit there as my servant. I want you to sit with there as my friend. I want you to eat with me and enjoy the goodness of my kingdom. Enjoy the goodness of our wealth. Enter into the joy of your master. You see, this parable is not about economics. This parable is not about duty. This parable is about experiencing the delight of God. As he invites us into partnering with him in obedience as an invitation to communion and fellowship with him in joy. The rich man is inviting them into a closer relationship with him, to enter into his joy with him, to be close to his heart. Jesus wants us to see the character of this rich man as one who is kind and generous, loving and joyful, which is why the response of the third servant is so shocking. You see, the third partner didn't go out and work like the other two, did he? But he decided to bury it. And that may seem odd to us, but it was actually the prudent thing to do. In this culture... It was actually the legal right thing to do. When you were given a sum of money, if you took it and bury it, you were not liable for it if it was lost or stolen. However, if you had it in your possession and you lost it, 
then you would be responsible to pay it completely back. The prudent thing to do was to bury it. And that's what he did. And so Jesus' hearers who are listening to this would have thought, there's nothing wrong with this choice. That was a safe choice. That was a good choice. But why did he take that safe route? When asked what he did with his money, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid. And so I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. Now, how does he perceive the character of this man? He calls him a hard man. In other words, he's not kind. He's not generous. He's mean. He's greedy. He says, you reap when you did not sow. You gather where you did not scatter. He's not expecting generosity from this man. He's expecting this man to rob him, to take from him, to not bless him, but to be a bother. And so basically he says, I was afraid of you. So I played it safe. I figured you would not reward me, but rob me for my efforts. And so he speaks with disrespect. He insults him and he gives him back what he was given, having done nothing for him, even though he should have at least invested it, done something with it. As his employee, he should have at least been that faithful. But he wasn't. And his actions and his words speak disrespect and reveal a hard heart towards this man. This is why the rich man responds by calling him wicked and slothful. Wicked may seem harsh, but keep this in mind that in the Bible, wicked is always a way that is speaking of someone who lives out the opposite of God's character, live as though God is not real, lives in a blindness to who he is. The wicked are people that live contrary to the character of God in the Bible. And this is what the man did in this parable. He was shown incredible generosity. He was entrusted with enough wealth to not just care for his daily needs, but to provide for him wealth that would bless him for the rest of his life. He was shown incredible encouragement, being honored by this rich man and being elevated into this new level of partnership with him. But he lived contrary to that character. He was wicked in that the lack of his work, his slothfulness, revealed that he lived in this world in a way that said that this man was mean, hard, a robber, not one who blessed. His wickedness was the opposite of the faithfulness of the other two. And so Jesus uses this parable to show us what it looks like to be faithful in God's kingdom. To be faithful is to live out the character of God. To be faithful is to live in a way that reflects your understanding of God as being generous and kind and faithful. And your obedience to God, your life in his kingdom, your willingness to believe him reflects deeply on what kind of person you think God is. Your faithfulness testifies to you into this world what you understand about the object of your faith. Your faithfulness to God, your obedience, is not about willpower. It's not about morality. Your faithfulness is a demonstration, a profession of faith in what kind of character you think God has. 
And that's what Jesus wants us to see in this parable. What does your life say about who God is? Does your life show an agreement with the first employees that whenever God asks you to do something, that it is a sign of his generosity, his goodness? That when he calls you into obedience, he's calling you into joy. Or does your life reflect more the third one who viewed the man as being hard in what he asked, demanding in what he required, who steals your life away from you because of what he wants, who puts burdens on you that are risky, that are unfair, that are unjust. Think about this in the way that we are faithful in our finances. Think about what theft or stealing is. Stealing is a profession of faith in God's unfaithfulness. And saying, God will not provide for me. He only takes from me. And so I have to go and take for myself, because that's the nature of this world, because that's the nature of this world's God. But in the opposite way, generosity. Generosity is a profession of faith in God's generosity. Giving to the poor is a reflection that you see the way that God gives his wealth to poor like us. Generosity is you joining with him in his delight to give his riches to those who are in need. When he calls his people to be generous, he's inviting them to enjoy with him the giving away of his wealth to bless others. What you do with your finances speak about where you find your joy. Because ultimately our finances are not risky as though they are ours, but they're an opportunity of blessing because they are his. What about the ways that God calls us to be faithful in what we do? Faithful even to think about it this way, to be a light of the gospel, to speak to our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers about God about the gospel. But often, if you're like me, even as a minister, sometimes I find myself wrestling with being faithful to share the gospel with someone because I wonder, is God going to really use it? Is God going to show up? Will I be able to answer their questions? Will I stumble? Will I mess things up more? What does that say about God and his faithfulness? Is God the kind of person that asks us to do something so that we fail? Is he the kind of God that doesn't show up to work through us? Could it be that we are robbing ourselves of the opportunity to see God's faithfulness? because we don't want to take the risk of trying. Jesus wants us to see that God is always faithful and generous and kind because he wants us to always be bold, risky, 
adventurous in how we live in this world because we know he bears the risk that we might get the reward. Paul helps us to understand this in the book of Timothy. In 2 Timothy, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. You see, even as you think about this, even as you begin to see your faithlessness, you can begin to think, well, that means that God's not going to show up, that God is going to neglect me, that God may not even be blessing me now because I just haven't been cutting it. But what Paul says is, your faithlessness does not take away God's faithfulness. God is always faithful, Paul says, for he cannot deny himself. It's so deeply ingrained in his character that it is inconceivable and impossible for God to be unfaithful. And this is what we need to remember in our life because time after time we begin to doubt God's faithfulness. Think that he won't show up in our finances. Think that he won't show up when he calls us to be a light of the gospel. Think that he won't show up when he calls us to obedience. Think that he won't show up when he brings us into trials. Think that he won't show up when we see our sins. But again and again and again, God will always show up. And isn't this what the cross demonstrates to us? so deeply and so clearly. We were unfaithful to him, but he couldn't deny himself. And he was faithful to show up. We were the ones that deserved to be taken out of this world and to cast into our outer darkness. But instead, Jesus came and was cast out of the city of Jerusalem and went into the darkness that happened at the cross. Because we were unfaithful, he was faithful to give himself for us. He gave you his greatest treasure that we then killed and buried into the ground. Yet, he allowed our unfaithfulness to be a way that we would see more clearly his generosity, his grace, and his faithfulness to us so that we would have no cause to ever doubt his character. And this is what we need to see, that he is faithful. And when we see that he is faithful, when we see that it is his joy to be generous with us, when we see that it is delight to bring us into communion and fellowship with him in deep and real ways, to enter into the feast with him, that shapes the way that we live. That calls us to want to live faithfully because it's a delight to work for such a man as this. It's a delight to get to do what he asks us to do. Because we know that every time we do that, it is a way that we are entering into the joy of our master. We know that it may never be perfect, but because of Jesus, 
because of the character of God, we will all see him face to face and hear him look at us eye to eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let us pray. We thank you, O God, that you are a God of grace and generosity and that you are faithful to always be that for us. Help us to live always in light of that faithfulness. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.